The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky and the earth, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in my sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know, one of my favorite names of Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And it's very nice at Christmas time to thank God with us in this joy and this festivity. And even with people who mourn, part of the lesson of the cross is that God is with us in our pain and suffering. And today, we get to see Jesus, fully divine and fully human, be God with us in frustration. We're in this pilgrimage journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. People have seen the kingdom breaking out in Galilee. Jesus has told them, I'm going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man must suffer and die. And the people just don't get it. And here we see Jesus' frustration start to come out. We end our reading today with Jesus in full frustration mode saying, You hypocrites! You look at the sky, you see clouds, you say it's going to rain. You look at the sky, you feel the wind blowing off the desert, you say it's going to be hot. Why can you not? Look at the word of God and see the prophecy of God being fulfilled around you. It's exactly what Jesus said he was doing when he started his public ministry in Nazareth. He reads from the skull of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me as he anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He ends by saying, This prophecy, this very prophecy is being fulfilled right here in front of you. Why don't you get it? You know, we spent the last several days very busy. And, and I'm a very good communicator. I say things very clearly like, go get that and put it in the other room by that thing. <laughs> and I get very frustrated when Jennifer doesn't understand that. Here we have Jesus, the perfect communicator, the perfect revealer of the Father. And 
people don't get it. What's wrong with you? You don't get it. And I wonder, what if we don't get it? What if we have it all wrong sometimes? Or maybe even more than sometimes? In all our great theologies, what if we miss God? What if we don't recognize Emmanuel, God with us? And we don't recognize that God is present in our frustration, in our anger, in our grief, in our joy. That God is present in the everyday things of our lives, much as the clouds and the sun and the hot wind are present. Before we go back to this first part of the passage, let's remember some of our Lucan themes that we've been walking through. We started Luke recognizing that Luke tells us about the clash of kingdoms, the clash between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And he reminds us that we're on this pilgrimage, this pilgrimage of transformation from servants of death to servants of God. We see in Luke, more than any of the other Gospels, a description of the restorative justice of God. Most of us think about justice as being retributive, You need to be punished for that. We have a whole system of courts and prisons built around retributive justice. Yet the justice of the kingdom is always restored. This is broken and needs to be healed. The judgment of God is a judgment of healing, not of punishment. We keep that in mind as we hear Jesus talking about casting fire upon the earth. We see that the message and the mission of Jesus is a message and mission of clarification. He clarifies the vision of Messiah. The prophets have foretold the Messiah. People have interpreted that. They've interpreted it wrongly sure we do that sometimes too. They expect this great Messiah to come in and conquer Rome, kick the Romans out of Jerusalem, establish a kingdom like all the other kingdoms, only mine. Jesus comes to say that my kingdom is not like any other kingdom. My kingdom is not a kingdom that divides, but a kingdom that unites. Jesus comes always to clarify who the Father truly is. Mark Twain famously quipped, man made God in his own image, and being the perfect gentleman, man immediately returned the favor. We don't know who the Father is except as Jesus reveals the Father. That's always part of his mission. So now, as Jesus comes in great frustration, his impatience, this eternal being forced in, not forced, submitted to a temporal existence. Just like us, he wants it now. And yet he recognizes 
the not yetness even of his very mission. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. We read that and oftentimes we think a fire of judgment and destruction. And yet if we look back at the imagery of scripture, we see Moses seeing a bush that is not consumed in its holy ground. Isaiah comes before the throne of God, fearful of himself. And the cherubim takes fire from the altar, places it against Isaiah's lips, and he's purified. Fire is holy and purifying. John the Baptist. Luke describes his ministry standing in the Jordan, baptizing people. Everybody's coming out saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're looking for? John says, I am not. I merely baptize you with water, but the one who is coming, the one whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie, he will baptize you, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We're not alone if we don't quite get it. James and John, we read, as Jesus is rejected from a Samaritan village, come back and say, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them. Jesus rebukes them. Again, they don't quite get it. But you know, even after the resurrection, the disciples don't get it. They know the scriptures well. Even walking with Jesus along the road to Emmaus, he opens to them and describes the way of the Messiah is suffering and death and resurrection from the Psalms and the prophets. They think they get it. But it's not until Jesus gives thanks and breaks bread that they get it, that they know that it was Jesus that they were walking with. Friends, there's hope. There's hope that we get it. I came to cast fire upon the earth, and oh, that it were already here. On that great day, as Jews from all nations are gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, the 50 days after the Passover, They're gathered in one room, and the Spirit of the Lord descends upon them as fire, holy and purifying. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, sends the Spirit as fire upon all flesh that we can know and get it. Paul goes on to describe the way that fire purifies even our ministry. He writes to the church in Corinth and says, Do you not know? We all build on one foundation, and that foundation must be Jesus the Christ. And what we build on that foundation, whether holy or vile, is tested by fire. By fire, our ministry is made known as being for God 
or in vain. Jesus comes to cast the fire of the Holy Spirit upon the earth. Then he says, do not think I came to bring peace, but division. Wait a minute. Jesus, the uniter of all flesh under one God, comes to bring not peace, but division. Even in our very families, Jesus says, in one household they will be divided three against two and two against three. We remember that all of this discourse starts with a man coming up to Jesus and saying, hey, make my brother divide the inheritance with me. That money that should be mine is more important than this relationship with my brother. Jesus is going to come to bring holiness and healing, and some will refuse. Some will hold on to their hurt, even with Jesus before them. And that will divide families. But see, we have a bigger family. Jesus comes to redefine family. See, in Israel, the families were divided in roles given Judah, Levi, Benjamin. And that was your family, that was your clan and your tribe. And they divided. But at least they were united as we're sons of Abraham, and you're not. Remember John the Baptist says, Do not have hope in being a son or a daughter of Abraham, for God from these very stones can raise sons and daughters of Abraham. As Jesus is teaching, and his parents kind of think he's a little crazy. His parent, his mother, and his brothers and sisters come to the house to kind of take him away and say, hey, stop all that. That's crazy talk. The people say, Rabbi, your mother and your brother and sisters are outside waiting up for you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brother and sisters? But those who hear and do the will of God. Jesus defines family in a much bigger way than we can ask or imagine. Paul will carry on this theme saying, in Christ, your family is so much bigger. In Christ, there's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's no longer even nationality. But all are in Christ one under one father. You know, I wonder, what if sometimes we get it all right? I don't think we ever get it all right, but what if sometimes we do get some things right? What does it look like when we get it right? 
this church, this Pentecost people, this people that if we're willing, receives the holy and purifying fire of the Holy Spirit. This people that are defined by the kingdom of God rather than the kingdoms of this world. Those who are united under the truth against the lies of the world. Where do we get it right? You know, I think sometimes we do. I think we do in the prophetic offices of the liturgy. The ways that I step into those prophetic words and pronounce them thus as the Lord. In the absolution, your sins are forgiven, pardoned, and absolved, that you may live a life toward God. In the consecration of the bread and wine, this is the body of Christ given for you. And in the blessing, the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and always. These are ways in which as the church, we step into the prophecy of all time and say, this is being fulfilled even in our midst. You know, the church, as much as the church often gets it wrong, sometimes the church gets it right. And the way that we get it right, the way that we can test whether we get it right, is to say, wow, is this in line with the full canon of Scripture? Is this in line with the historic creeds of the church? Does this lead me to the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper? And is this in union with the church throughout the ages? as carried on in the office of the bishop. Sometimes we get it right in our lives. When we live in the simplicity of the law of love, when we recognize that all that the law commands us is to love God above all things, to love our neighbor even as we love ourselves. All the theology and the predictions, we can cast those away. They can be useful, but at the end of the day, do we love? The simplicity of the law of love and the ministry of reconciliation. In that love, am I working to reconcile myself or better put, to allow God to reconcile me to him through Christ? Am I working to reconcile with those around me? Am I working as people gripe about what someone else did? Am I encouraging them to seek the way of reconciliation? Sometimes we get it right. We get it right when we experience not the peace that we want on earth, not the peace that says, okay, I'm in charge and everything's my way and nobody disagrees with me. If we're honest, that's the peace that we kind of like to think about. 
but when we experience the shalom of the kingdom, the way that we trust God, a God that is near at hand, not a God far away, a God whose word takes away the lies of this world. The shalom of the kingdom, what Paul describes as the peace that passes all understanding. In spite of our circumstances, we experience a peace that doesn't change our circumstances, but allows us to recognize Emmanuel, Christ with us. And we practice doing that. We practice doing that every time we come to this table and we hear, this is my body and it is given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. We encounter Christ. We, we learn to recognize Emmanuel, God with us in the world around us when we know that it is Christ who gave himself for life, who gave himself for love, who gave himself for redemption. We learn to recognize the time as we go out into the world. In the same way that we look at the clouds and say, it's gonna rain. We look at the circumstances around us and we say, God's working there. As we walk in the spirit, as we walk in that holy and purifying fire, as we allow God by the Holy Spirit to cleanse and refine our hearts, to open our eyes and our ears to his will around us. We are able to make it our constant prayer. Lord, I know that you're at work around me. Lord, show me where you at work are at work. And give me strength to accept your invitation to participate in all that you are doing. We're reminded in our colic today that we are dependent on God's perpetual mercy as a church and as individuals. That we are not able to do anything apart from him. We are not able to see the work of the kingdom. We're not able to recognize the signs of the time. We're not able to get it apart from his mercy, but that when we submit to him, he leads us to all things that are possible and profitable for our healing and our wholeness, for our walk in the shalom of the kingdom of God, even as we recognize Emmanuel, God with us even in our frustration. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.